to me, the Rebbe, who is my Moshe Rabbeinu, led us to the promised land, and like Moshe Rabbeinu, did not enter the promised land, and said, it's now your turn to stand up on your own two feet and to walk in for yourself. I'm not going to carry you anymore. I'm not going to be your mother, which is the way that Moshe described, and carry you into the land. You have to stand up and do it. And if the Rebbe faced himself a challenge of taking the tradition that he was raised on and colliding head-on with modernity and emerging as something powerful, meaningful, inspiring, empowering, and redemptive, then I have the responsibility to do the same. Welcome to Homesick for Lubavitch, a podcast where we explore Lubavitch identity in the year 2024. My name is Ben Siafson, and I will be your host. Let's begin. This week's guest is Evi Slavin, who I first heard about online from his YouTube channel. And most of the stuff they talks about on his YouTube channel are topics that are quite unfamiliar to me, and I would expect unfamiliar to most people listening to this podcast. But while that's the case, there were a few times where he spoke about his Lubavitch identity, where it felt at once unique to him, as one would expect from the way he discusses things on his YouTube channel, but at the same time, very familiar, surprisingly familiar and resonant. I thought it would be very interesting to have him on this podcast to talk about how he has figured or thought about managing the tension between the intellectual pursuits that he is involved in and engrossed in, but at the same time holding on to his Lubavitch identity. How does he manage that tension? How does he manage that seeming contradiction? How does he make it work? Does he make it work? And so I invited him onto this podcast we had a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoy. All right, we're here today with um, a new friend, Zevi Slavin. Zevi Slavin is from uh, Sydney, Australia, and uh, I got to know Zevi by by watching him online for for a little bit. Zevi has a channel online on YouTube where he dis- discusses his um, intellectual pursuits, the ideas that he's thinking about and talking about, and covering a little bit of his intellectual journey. Most of it is stuff that I don't really understand, but we'll get to some of that later. Maybe not to the ideas themselves, but to how he ended up there in the first place. Um, yeah, so so why don't we begin, why don't we begin with, with, with your story? I always like to begin with a story. Sure. So you, 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 like, I, I, I introduced you enough that you grew up in Sydney, Australia, but that's about all I know. So why don't you tell me a little about growing up in Sydney, Australia, what it was like. Growing up in Sydney was delightful in many ways. I grew up as a proud child of proud Schluchem, and I grew up with a real sense of mission and purpose in that. That um, we there was a real sense that we weren't just here to enjoy life and to make the best of the beach, which was near our house. But we were there with a real sense of objective. We were sent there to achieve something, to achieve something global and cosmic. And um, that's something which, I've, which I cherished a lot as a child, and I still hold on to it today. Um, I'm very, very grateful to my parents. I think they're the most wonderful parents that this world has produced, and I, I may be a bit biased in that. But... Um, I really did think they, they were, I think they were like into conscious parenting before it was a thing. 
And I think they did a phenomenal job instilling us with a lot of, a lot of self-respect and self-love, unconditional love for us. Um, so if we're going to begin in childhood, there was, it was a very beautiful one, which I think is important to say because a lot of people, when they see someone doing something which is, you know, a bit off the beaten track, they assume right away that there was something wrong. They try to point and blame. Where did, right. where, where, where was this person messed up that they're now doing something creative and, right. and original? Uh, and, I, and that wasn't the case for me. And, and what I'm doing now is not coming from a place of rebellion or angst or, or anger or trauma. Um, that's that's where my story begins. Yeah, I think it's a very good. I mean, it's a great a great beginning to the story, but also a good disclaimer. I I agree. Um, yes, it's it's sad that has to be bavarned, but it, it it does need to be bavarned. So you grew up. You said you were you grew up with a proud sense of shluchus. Uh, that is something I can identify with. I grew up in Hong Kong. My parents were also shluchim, and yeah, I mean, there's there is a sense of why are we here? Well, we're here to to change things. We're here to make a to, 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 for a big reason, very big reason. You know, as your child, maybe you don't really know how to articulate it, but it's big, and you know that you're unique and different at the very least, right? So, uh, but in your case, which is slightly different to mine, uh, not slightly, very different to mine, you had other Lubavitchers there as well, right? Sydney does have a substantial Lubavitch community. Um, so, what was that like? Um, I guess to frame the question a little bit more specifically, you know, I would suppose if you grew up in Australia and you're the only Lubavitcher, you automatically like there's a peculiarity that like it's a contradiction and you kind of just, or maybe you just like can shut off the other side of it, right? But here you see a bunch of other Lubavitch Australians, some of them a couple generations in, right? So how did you think of, or did you think of what it means to be or like, are you Australian? Are you Lubavitch? What does it mean? I have American cousins. What was that like? Yeah. How Australian did you feel, and how Lubavitch did you feel? Make this make make the answer make the question simple. Right, a pointed question helps. It's funny because I I know I'm Australian in many ways, and there's a specific brand of Lubavitch which is Australian, which is different than Lubavitch anywhere else. And people that know Australian Lubavitch know what I mean by that. Yeah. Where there's a certain, a bit more both laid backness and worldliness in some sense. Mm-hmm. Those are, I mean, maybe if, the, if, those words, if those words hold any meaning. So within a Lubavitch context, I feel Australian, but within a general context, I don't particularly feel very Australian. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's because, because we were there as missionaries to put it <laughs> frankly we were we were there as there was the sense that you're like the child of the ambassador right and you're not you're not of the locals right and we didn't and in many ways we weren't we didn't engage we didn't have you know the the cuisine that our neighbors were having we didn't celebrate this the the festivals they were celebrating in many ways you're you're in them and amongst them but you're not of them when you're there right. on a mission and i think that would be the same for any religion if you're children of mormons in Africa, you don't necess- even if you're born there, you don't necessarily identify. But you had classmates such. who were Lubavitchers and weren't Shluchim, no? Most of, a lot of the Lubavitchers that I grew up with were children of Shluchim. Okay. Yeah. So Sydney is different than Melbourne. Sydney, yeah. Sydney does, Sydney now has, and even then to a degree, had a large, don't need to translate words here, I can, no, no, no. okay. Had a large Anash community. And, um, so Melbourne had a large, has a large Nash community. In Sydney, although there is one now, growing up, at least in my mind, there was not 
so much anash. It was, it was, there's a ton of shluchim in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Chabad got in very early and they, they set up in important places. And almost all of my classmates, or, or even all of them, that were Chabad were children of shluchim. We had, okay. we had other kids. We had, we had kids that came in from right. children of Russians and South Africans and, and locals and whatnot. Um, but the Chabad, there was a very shlichus Chabad. There wasn't, there wasn't so much of an anash. And, I see. Yeah. No, so it's, it's interesting because in a way almost you were like, you were cocooned within the world of shlichus. Like you're, you're on shlichus, but all your friends are also shluchim. So it's not even like, you're not even like a shliach in Long Island who comes to Altera. Like your whole concept of Lubavitch all around you and is reinforced by the people around you is shlichus. Yeah. It's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Also when you're in such a remote outpost, even if someone's anash, they're also shliach in some sense as well. Yeah, but in Melbourne, you wouldn't say that, right? Because it's large enough of a community that... That, that you can live within that community and not yeah. have to... If you, yeah, if you're, if you're not interacting with the outside world, right. then you don't, have, you don't have a shlichus mentality necessarily. Right. Yeah, shlichus mentality is a whole different, a whole different question. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so you, you, grow, you grow up in Sydney. Um, your, your concept of being Jewish is being a Lubavitcher. Your concept of being a Lubavitcher is being a shliach. That's all there is to it. Um, how long does that hold? Because we, and, and, I, and I'm not saying like, when did it crack, that it has to crack, it doesn't have to crack, but in a way it kind of does because you've, you've layered three things on top of one another and said that this is what it is when, no, it's a subset, right? So a subset of Eden are Lubavitchers and a subset of Lubavitchers are Shluchim, but from what I understand from you is that you understood that Shluchim are Lubavitchers are Yidin, right? Correct. Growing up, yes. Correct. Yeah. So, so when did that begin to, like, begin to fall apart, or did it fall apart? There's, you know, there's an interesting moment I had as a child, and I and I wonder how many humans have this as children, when for the first time I realized that there were countries outside of Australia, and that other people lived in different time zones and different cultures and languages. As a young child, I mean, I think we were flying overseas and just like seeing a map and understanding that there were other cultures. There's, there's a real, a child grows up in a space where they're really the only thing that exists. And, and I mean, the ego feels that way about itself. And then when you just, just you're, you're talking about every New Yorker that flies to Israel <laughs> the first time, but go ahead. That's the moment for, go ahead. <laughs> for the local context. Yeah, go ahead. The, the out of town as you're saying the rest of the... <laughs> the first time a New Yorker finds out about Israel. Anyway, go ahead. It's a fascinating thing to, yeah. to realize that there are entire populations of people, millions, billions of people, that have nothing to do with your life and you're t- absolutely insignificant to them is like a big thing to discover as a young child. Yeah. And it's an important, I assume, developmental phase to go through, right? If you don't go through, and perhaps some people don't go through that phase in, in real ways. But, um, so I think, <laughs> I think the, um, we, we begin to understand that we live in a context and we begin to understand that that context is both contemporary and historical. Um, and if you're a curious person, you want to understand how that comes to be and what that context is. To me, I would add another layer the discovery that one is a Lubavitcher and a, and a Jew, I would say discovering that one is a human mm. is a really, really pivotal discovery to make. Right. Um, and I think there are even discoveries beyond that because discovering that you're human might still remain anthropocentric. And there's discovering that you're that you're part of nature and that may already take Our us universe. into mysticism. Right. But, but um, discovering, discovering for me, for me, it's, it's interesting. And I, and I appreciate you saying that doesn't necessarily have to have a moment of rupture because I still, I still do identify and feel deeply as a shliach, as a Lubavitcher, as a Jew, as a human. Interesting. Yeah. 
Um, and we can talk about that, I'm sure. Yeah, we are going to talk about that. <laughs> That's all we're going to talk about. The, the, moment that I, the moment that I realized that there was a larger context to my own religiosity, was, which changed my life, frankly, was a novel that I was reading as a teenager, which the novelist, who was quite well-known, kind of painfully popular, um, employs some very basic you ideas. Do you want to say what it is? I'm embarrassed to say because of how popular Harry it is. Harry Potter? <laughs> no, it's almost as bad. <laughs> um, Dan Brown. Oh, sure. Yeah. So yeah. the Da Vinci Code? Not Da Vinci Code. That, uh, the Saving Graces, it's not Da Vinci Code. <laughs> the Lost Symbol is, is the okay. book that I read, where he basically employs some very basic ideas of biblical and Christian mysticism. And seeing those ideas for the first time, I'm like, one second, how did Dan Brown know what I'm studying in Chassidus in the morning? Right, I know what how, you're talking about. How did he, where did he get that from? Who's his informant, you know? I think a lot of Lubavitchers today get that when they listen to Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. So that's that's where it's happening for people. What's and that? That's where it's happening for people now, yeah, I guess. I, I think that's probably like the more common place. Yeah, and I have, I have friends who have, who have had that moment for them. Right. Yeah, how did he know this Pirush on the on the Nachash and Gan Eden? That's like, right. Like, that's did right. he learn the Kutter or something? Right. Is, he, is, he, is he learning a Salah Chalav and Ayn Beis? Like, where, what's happening here? Right. So that was... and then And then realizing that what I had been studying all along had a name or had been given a name in a complex historical process called mysticism and that the phenomenon of mysticism has been identified across religions and, uh, and that there's a comparative study of mysticism. And that, um, so that, that really blew my mind. And I, as a teenager, as a teenager. Yeah. And, and where were you at at the time you were in a yeshiva, you were in a school. I was, I was in, I was the school that I was in had, had ceased to be as a legal entity and we that sounds really Lubavitch <laughs> uh, we you're way more Lubavitch than I am <laughs> I'm trying to be delicate here and I don't want to be sued by anyone for it. defamation <laughs> um, a group half half of the class went to go study in a more Veltish school let's say uh, Mariah and, and and the rest of us the children of went to study in a very ad hoc chaotic homeschooling de facto form of cheder. So maybe that's um, where the rupture happened. It, it, in that space, because of how unstructured it was, it certainly gave me the, the passion and the, the tools to, to study on my own, which I did for the next decade or so and continued to. So that was an important moment for me. It was while I was in Masifto, in, in that cheder, um, I was living in a dormitory, so I was out of home, but near home, um, still in Sydney, that I, that I read that novel and and that sort of reopened my eyes to Chassidus. Until then, Chassidus had made no sense to me. Literally no sense. Interesting. And then seeing the ideas of Chassidus being put in such a foreign um, religious, cultural, linguistic register allowed me to be like, oh, that's that's what we were saying when we were talking about X, Y, Z. And that, that very much blew my mind and, and began me, began a process of, of, of looking at Chassidus um, Yiddishkeit and in, in a very new set of lenses hmm, fascinating there's so many so many lanes there that i would love to explore um but I, I gotta pick one here at least for now you know there's i mean there, there, the, the last thing you said is 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 a fascinating topic which i hope to discuss with one of my upcoming guests as well it is a question of translation and um you know it, it's 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 kind of seen as like as just like a technical process but you're not you're not translating from like one language to another i mean or maybe you are but do you know what a language is a language isn't just 
an ability to know that this is a wall. It's it's a set of series of contexts and, and, and layers built up over time that we, nobody even knows anymore what it reflects, but we all know deep down, like we, right? And so you're like, like see this is taught with certain words, maybe in words that don't tickle you, that you don't even know what they're taught, but then you see it from somewhere else and it's like, okay, now I get it, right? But at that point already, you're getting it from a different space Okay, but let's leave that for a moment. I just don't want to leave it. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to make believe like I didn't. Like I like that, that wasn't fascinating to me. I, I want to go a little bit to what you said earlier, which is um, the realization that these ideas. Do you want to wait for the siren? I don't care. I mean, yeah, we could. No, I'm talking. It's fine. Nobody needs to listen to me anyway. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, the, the, yeah. So. The realization. The realization that that these ideas are from a long from a from a long tradition, and that a lot of these ideas can be traced back. I mean, this is not just the This is not just the moment of awakening for a child. This is any serious thinker realizes sooner or later that the Rambam got ideas from the. What was that? The Rambam, the Rambam got ideas from from philosophers. Leolino. No, but I'm saying he did, and 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 Kabbalah has ideas that can be traced back to other places, and the reason why I'm focusing on that is not to go into a whole theological debate of what that means or or like what the implications of that are, but more I feel like it does frame like a certain you I feel like there's there's there, there's a fork there that you there's a fork there that you can take. One is that you can deny it or say that really, and, and, and there are very, I think very, I think even the Barbanel makes this kind of claim, but really old ideas started in Torah, they got lost, they were held on to by different traditions and then reclaimed by, later by Torah. I'm not going to be the one to argue with the Barbanel, okay, I can assure you that, but I'm saying he's not, he's not, like there are, he's an opinion, but he's not, that's not universal, that's for sure, but saying there is... I'm just giving like I'm just trying to steal man the fork you know that path where it's like no no it's still the same every everything's included in Torah. The other path seems to be where you understand that the reason that Torah is special to you is not because it is the only avenue of thought and the only place where good ideas come from. Right, the reason you learn Chassidus is not because it is the smartest book in the world. It may be, but that's not why. Right, it's a, it's like the reason I love my parents is not because my mother is the most beautiful woman in the world. I could think that, but that's not why she's. That's not why I love her, right? It's because she's my mother. It's 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 an affiliation. It's not it's not a competition, right? If if I, if I judge my mother against other people's mothers, something has failed in the parenting, right? So I I, I didn't want to go on 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 a long tangent on my own, but I feel like. I feel like that's why it's such an important point to kind of go down a little bit because it could be, you know, somebody listening could say, okay, so you had this moment in school where you read this book that you shouldn't have been reading, right? See, this is what happens when you read books. No, maybe maybe you shouldn't have. I'm saying like, like from a pure you shouldn't have. And you have this realization that ideas came from somewhere. You see, now you diminish the entire, this is already the beginning of Apicursus. And it's like, it doesn't, I don't think it has to be. I don't think it has to be like. Why does our why does our faith or our fidelity to these to to our tradition have to be based 
on believing things that aren't true or, or things that are historically just like, and, and you know, I, I hate to like, I, I don't, I'm not going to say this is what the Rebbe thought because I don't know what the Rebbe thought or what his real opinion, like, I, I'm not going to use the Rebbe's opinion to, to solidify me, but I've read similar things in the Rebbe's teachings where it's like, Torah is true, period, end of story. I'm not going to argue with you now. That's not, I, I don't believe in Torah because I've outsmarted every argument. Anyway. Yeah. I think I think we make a mistake when we fail to distinguish between that which is unique and that which is exclusive. And we think that to be special, it has to be exclusive. And I think it, I'm not sure where it comes from. And I think, I mean, the, the lazy answer is to say that it comes from insecurity. And maybe it does. But I think it des- deserves more attention. Like if someone's married to a spouse or has a parent, for example, you don't need to believe that your parent is 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 fantastic and 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 love them or love your spouse you don't need for that to be true you don't need to believe that no one else has a beautiful relationship with their spouse or parents in the world right. that would be an exclusive i'm the only one that's allowed to have that but right. if you can have a unique relationship right my relationship with my spouse is, is unique and, and and it doesn't need to be compared as you're saying that to compare it is 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 like why even are you doing that it's it, it raises questions a helpful metaphor which i've a metaphor which i found helpful is being language I speak English amongst other languages. I speak English not because English is the best language in the world. It's not It's not the most grammatically brilliant language. It's not the oldest language. It's not... I speak language because that's the language I was raised on. And English has a lot of beauty. English has a lot of right. poetry and melody and, and clarity and precision. And there's very good reasons to speak English. Right. Does that make me more articulate or a better communicator or, or more human? And I mean, speech is so integral to being human. It's the, For Aristotle, the human is the speaking animal, Right. Right. The medaber, right? Does that make me more human or a better communicator than than the Spanish speaker, but than the Chinese speaker, than the like that? That would be ludicrous. Right. And yet, when it comes to religion, we're not able to make that distinction. We think that my religion, my form of communication with with the divine, with the transcendence, with with absolute reality, whatever we have, we conceptualize God. That that has to be the only way that 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 can be done, or else there's there's a there's some sort of pagam, there's some sort of blemish in my relationship. If we could, if we could instead, which is, which is, as you you had brought up the idea of language and translation, if we can instead see that this is a Yiddish speaker, right, is not going to abandon their Yiddish because they now speak English. There's there's a real depth in each one of those languages, and I think we have to learn how to cherish the uniqueness, the genius, the the beauty of every single language without it needing to be superior or or exclusive, and and it it seems to me like that position can come from a place of deep comfort. If you're deeply, deeply confident and comfortable in the language you speak, your literal language or your religious language, your, your religious mother tongue, then you're not threatened by someone else's religiosity or spirituality. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. no, I understand what you're saying, but I, I feel like most, see, if I had to guess, most religious people, when they think about, when they hear about other religious ideas, I don't know if their instinct is they're scared of it, I think their instinct is more. This must be trafe, and, and I, I don't think that they're. I don't think that they're based on nothing. I mean, there is there is a there is a tradition to this where, you know, Judaism was opposed to Christianity. This whole concept of Judeo Christian values is is kind of bonkers when you think about it. Like, how did that happen, and when did that happen? Like, like in many ways, 
all of Christianity, I mean, I, I don't know much about it, but I know enough to know that it's kind of built in opposition to Judaism. It's taken stuff from Judaism, but a lot of it was oppositional. Now, are there... So I'm seeing... I, I'm, I'm not qualified to have an argument about it. Um, I'm sure there's overlap, and I'm sure there's ideas that have made their way into both. Um, but but um, my, my, point, my point is merely that... that it's it's a tradition of that's where people are getting it from. I think it's it's you know we don't go into a church. We're not allowed to go into a church, right? We're not we're not allowed to. For many years, we weren't like people did not read philosophy, like at all. Uh, it got relaxed a little bit with time, but that itself was a massive fight in the Jewish world, right? Um, so like I, I don't I don't know if it's if it's so much that people are scared of these ideas for the ideas or are insecure about it. I think people probably have a point or for sure have grounds to say like this is not what you didn't do. I think well, to me what's interesting because I like, I don't want to I don't want to put you on the spot or like like you know why do you think you're right or why do you think they're wrong? I don't think that's a I, and I'm not the I'm not the judge of any of this and that's not the goal here. Like. I think what's interesting is that, you know, a lot of, like, that tradition that I just spoke about was in a world, for the most part, where Jews were in a ghetto. And the lines of demarcation between the Jewish and the non-Jewish were enforced at the point of violence, right? So what what happens when you move into a world where ideas are accessible to all, like the internet, where people, at least in concept, believe in everyone's a human being, right? You know, when you grow up in that world, what do you do then? You know, do you, do you hang on to, um, this is how it always was, this is, how, this is how I'm going to be, even though everything around me has changed, I'm gonna be the same way as my grandparents. Or do you say, look, I, I, I need to, I live in the world, I'm aware of the world, I need to integrate it. Like that to me seems to be the question that I, like, tell, okay, fine, you're telling me that, that, that like we were never allowed to read these things. Okay, but we were also never allowed to, to work. We we're never allowed to be rich. And I, You know what I'm saying? Like, because I, I feel like, I feel like we could easily go down the rabbit hole of like whether it should be right or shouldn't be right, and then it becomes like, oh well, I don't believe that. So it's like, but so so take out theology for a second. The scary thing of theology. What about practice? What about what about the way you live? What about the fact that many Jews, Baruch Hashem, have done very well in this country and live a life that that is almost that's coming closer and closer in terms of luxury and, and, and amenities to, 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 to wealthy America. When did that become, become okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, you see what I'm saying? You see where I'm going with this? I feel like that's the, like, how do you deal as a child? And, and, I'm, and I'm, I, wanna, I wanna keep it to your story. How do you deal with, you know, you're this kid growing up and you, you've, you've become aware of this world around you, like you said. And the plane image is a fantastic one. It talks to me to this day. 
every time I land on a plane and I see all these houses and I'm like, my God, my own neighborhood is massive. Like my city, it's like this world is massive, man. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, how do you deal with that recognition without hunkering down mm. and at the same time without losing yourself? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are, those are two very natural directions to go. Right to to say, we've encountered, we, we've we've seen land, we've encountered modernity, and it's terrifying, as a traditional society. So we're going to circle our wagons and turn in, and we're going to the best of our degree with all the tools we have, economic, cultural, theological, theological, political, religious, to um, to make sure that the outside world remains on the outside and the inside world remains on the inside. That's certainly that's certain direction and a perfunctory knowledge of of modern and contemporary Jewish history is, you know, is evidence of, of that attitude, um, which, which I'm, which I'm not here to ridicule. I think, I think there's a good reason to do that. There's if, if one wants to maintain the values of their society and, and they see a foreign, a foreign society, which is antithetical to their values, there's, there's good grounds to do that. Um, there's also problems with it. Certainly the, and then another approach is is assimilation. Let's take down our walls. Let's become like a like you know every other German, and and that's you know the beginning of of a different trajectory of Jewish of modern right. Jewish history. I think. I think. How look, do you deal with it? How do I deal with it? How did you deal? How with did it? I deal with it? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm I dealt with it within a within a context, and that context is is Lubavitch. Hmm. Um, so. I think it helps to give a bit of a bit of context of, of how I understood at least how Lubavitch responded to that, and then how I respond to that in, independently within that structure. Sure. Um, I always think about this moment when the Friedrich Rebbe came to to Ellis Island, arrived here on the shore, and said famously, "America's Nishanders, America's no different." And uh, and then the Friedrich Rebbe, son of the Rebbe, went on to affirm that in speech, but in, in practice very much show that America is Garandish and that Chabad is going to be Garandish in America in, in very, in very profound American ways and really tapping into to, to the best that America had to offer and, and very proudly. So there's a sense that I, that I get that what the, the way that Chabad responded to modernity um, and was not the same that, that the rest of the Hasidic world or the, mm. the liberal Jewish world responded to modernity Response to modernity with a real sense of purpose and mission, mm. saying that where we are here, and particularly in the Rebbe's mission statement, Basilagani, we're here as the seventh generation to bring Mashiach. We're here with a purpose. We're going to do it in America precisely, and there was no ignoring of that theologically. There was no there was no downplaying of it. There was a full there was a complete embrace of that mission statement, which allowed, in my estimation, Chabad to to remain the the movement that it was without being washed away and without turning insular, by showing up. With a purpose in the outside world, um, you know something which which I'm sure we've heard a hundred times in Fabringens that that in uh, in Hilchas Kashros, if a piece of if if a piece of meat is is expunging, it doesn't have any time to absorb. So as long as we're expunging the model of Shlichus, we're here on a mission to give to give to give. There's no time to absorb and to be assimilated. We're here for a purpose. And I, as as a child, I I very much took that line of thinking and and continued with that, and. I think in in encountering, and sort of that's just a general encounter between tradition and modernity, right? Right. When we have when we when we when we encounter a commonality 
in our metaphysics and our theology, which happened to me as a teenager, it became, it, it no longer was a question of us and them, that we have this special thing called chassidus, uniquely special, exclusively special, um, and the rest of the world has lies and falsehood, and we're going to be here, a light among the nations, to, to share our light and to bring Mashiach. That was, I mean, maybe I'm strawmaning that a little, but uh, but but I think to some degree accurate, at least. What, what pivoted for me was that there's a human component here. Humans throughout history have described encounters with something with a with a with a way of being that seems to be beyond or deeper than our ordinary state of being those those encounters and what we what we now call experiences maybe mystical experience have been codified into traditions into practice into poetry and philosophy and mythology narrative and and those traditions go on to give birth to religious structures that try to aspire and live up to and perpetuate those values of that 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 recognition that state of reality and to me i understood Chassidus as, as an articulation of that experience, the Jewish articulation, a, a, a Jewish articulation, not the only Jewish articulation. There have been many forms of Jewish mysticism throughout history, mm. um, and and also one amongst many that 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 many traditions have had that articulation, and it began a process of looking at those traditions, our, our neighboring traditions, and trying to understand where that commonality was, where the difference was, what parts legitimately felt unaligned with with that core of Judaism that I, that I that I had been raised on and experienced and what parts of that felt deeply aligned with it and instead of seeing myself as an as a lone ambassador part of this lone tribe of people that um, that are here with a specific mission but instead of seeing like humanity at its finest being champions and torchbearers to that same truth and that same that same encounter and trying to move to a a lot of my work is trying to move to a theological place where it's not about us engaging alone in a redemptive process that's going to affect us alone and the rest of the world, who knows, will be raptured and they'll be annihilated. But humanity as a whole coming to 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 come to that shared beauty and understanding, which in my estimation leads to a transformed, redemptive, messianic world, the world that I was taught as a child to aspire to and to believe in despite all the odds against it. Hmm. I mean, what's fascinating to me, I mean, you said so much there, but what's, what's so fascinating to me is that, uh, again, a, a few things, but one of the things is a question of the ideas of Chassidus versus the limitations placed around Chassidus. Right, like there's, like at the end of the day, Chassidus is an, is a part of Torah, and part of that Torah is the Psukim, Pshat, Remez, Dursayt, etc. But also Halacha, right, and, and 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 everything else, and so you have this kind of like what you're talking about the 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 the, the idea that every being is part of the is Abish's creation. Every being has a purpose. This is something that Chassidus says on the daily. But then, what do we say in Birch Just for example, Shleyasani Goy. There's there's a whole codification of halacha separating Gidin from Goyim. Not to mention, 
not to mention intermarriage and all these things, but even just on a much more superficial level, still like we don't do this, and so on. And so it almost seems like we're, we're set up for tension. And again, I'm not advocating that 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 um, that we shouldn't be going against Allah. Okay, I, I don't believe that, and I'm not stupid enough to suggest that here. Uh, all right, I'm saying like all I'm saying is all I'm saying is is that when you 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 have this problem again, where if you take the ideas of Chassidus seriously, like, like what, where do I go with this? Well, I go here, but then wait, you can, I can't go there, and so so that, that's. And, 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 and I don't want to dwell so much again on like the, the, the theological component here. What, what I'm more curious about, especially in this podcast, is how do you deal with that in terms of like your story, right? Um, like we, we just have this, it, it's, it's this, and I want to tie back to what I mentioned earlier. It's, you know, a lot of these things in many ways are, are kind of new. Someone will be like, no, 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 Chassidim always thought about this. Did they really? How many Chassidim and Lubavitch were thinking about engaging with a guy? Like, in an intellectual conversation? Not too many. Okay? Because most of the goyim, especially, we, we read about them all the time, are poyers and, 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 and landlords. And intellectuals were anti-Semites. <laughs> right? I'm just saying, like, it didn't exist. The, the, you know, it didn't exist, and like I'll give you even an example. I think this. I think I think my grandfather said the story in public so many times that I can hazard over anyway. Um, my grandfather had the idea of bringing the vice president, or I don't know if it was bringing the vice president to Monera or reaching the vice president. And he's like, you know, if it's a vice president, I may as well try for the president. But such a big move, he's got to get permission from from the boss, right? So he called up the office, and Khalikov answers the the phone, and Khalikov says, "President of America, Goy, we don't want him. What, what, are we, what are we doing with him?" Fifteen minutes later, Khalikov calls back and says, "And my grandfather always says he 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 was like made as if like he was having a whole conversation, and then like kind of in the middle of the conversation, he drops. By the way, the thing that you mentioned about the president." Yeah, it would be a gleichazach. Okay, draw your conclusions of how that, of how what what was going on behind that. Okay, and but like that's such a fascinating story because that's a turning point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This wasn't possible until now. That's how that's how we thought about things that goyim are there and we're here, and suddenly it's not like that anymore. America is garandrish. Yeah, I mean, we're both gonna get canceled for saying that. But it's interesting because the Rebbe himself would always chaz over the Fidik Rebbe saying America is nishtandish. Mm-hmm. Right? I think they're both true, by the way. And I think they're both true in the Rebbe's theology. Yeah, so so actually that's what I, that's what I wanted to go back to because you had started off with that about the Lubavitch way of dealing with America. Because I think it was, you know, like sometimes we think of things, ideas and images. And I, I used to think, like to me there's no question that Lubavitch identity is going through a stage of fragmentation. Like I, I, I don't know how you disagree with that when you see it all around you. But okay, if people want to disagree, Gesundheit, to me it's obvious. It's not like it's not an intellectual idea. It's like I see it. The question is how do you see that fragment? Like how do you view that fragmentation? How do you describe it? So I used to describe it as like a shattered egg. Like an egg drops. The shell smashes to pieces. 
the the yolk is oozing out. It's ugly. It's gross. It's sticky. It's pathetic. Right. What like the the, the like the the shape is gone, and what it was holding is is will be no will be no longer. It's part of chavila. Right, right, but with an egg and with a, a stick, a, a sticky chavila, right. And now I'm thinking more and more, and maybe I'm just gotten sentimental because of this podcast. But I'm thinking of it as like an exploded uh, c- uh, comet hmm. or meteor, hmm. where some collision of nature, however that works took this massive thing of energy and sh- and and caused it to shatter. And now this thing that's going at who knows how many miles an hour has now been broken up into a bunch of pieces that are now z- crisscrossing and zigzagging and going in a million other directions, also full of energy, all of them so dangerous that they could ignite the whole world on fire. Hmm. And why do I bring that up? Because you talked about coming to America. You know, one way to come to America is to say we're not really in America. We're in America, but we're not in America, right? One way to say it is like, well, we'll try to, we'll try to fit our way into America. You know, you could say if you want to generalize, the first way is like the Satmar way. We'll, and I, I read it in the book about the Satmar Rebbe. We're going to build Hungary, or we're going to rebuild Satmar in America. We're going to make money, and we're going to rebuild that in America. We're going to recreate it here. Modern Orthodox, you could say. Let's not assimilate, but let's fit into America. The Babich is like, let's crash into America. Let's collide with America. Like, let's not, let's not, let's not be nice. Let's not, let's not avoid it either. Let's just collide, right? And and I feel like, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like when when you, when you when you. When when you have when you have that happen, all kinds of things change. Everything's everything's different mm-hmm. after that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, back to your story, it's like you know you're 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 in, you're in this modern world. You're confronted by the modern world. You collide with the modern world. What do you do with the broken pieces? It's beautiful. It's firstly, it's a beautiful image. I love that. The idea of being a, a shattered metaphor that's going off to... A shattered, <laughs> make, shattered meteor. To, right. <laughs> a shattered meteor to go and to make further uh, further collisions and combustions and set off a chain reaction to God knows where. Yeah. It's, a, it's empowering. It's, it's, I, think it's, I, think I, it's, I think it's amazing. I think it's very empowering. Yeah, yeah. I prefer it than being a splattered egg yolk. <laughs> Yeah, man. Well, you were never the egg yolk. You were the piece of shell. Oh, okay. <laughs> I couldn't even be made into an omelet, you're saying. No, no, the egg yolk had nothing to do with you. That's all the point. You can't even... I think um, it's, a very, it's a very fresh moment, right? Right. It's, it's barely... I mean, it's not even a century. It's a, it's, and and, and in, in more recent ways, it's not even a few decades, right? Right. Where, where, where that explosion really, where that, where that agent really... Right. That that cataclysmic moment, which you're talking about, Gimel Thomas. Yeah, we don't need to say this. We don't, I think it goes without saying that that's that that's an active ingredient in this in that in that for sure in that shattering. Yeah. The for me for me it's a fascinating moment, and I, and I appreciate you bringing your 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 fine podcasting lens to it. For me, it's a moment which is very rich with new possibility. For me, it's a moment that opens up avenues 
that we never had the ability to, to explore before and the richest moments in human civilization where societies collide into each other. We think about the Renaissance as a fantastic moment in, in human history. It's only it's precisely because of the, of the access that was then had between Muslim scholars and Greek scholars and Jewish scholars and Greek texts that, that emerges one of the, you know, some of the most fecund, beautiful, inspiring moments in, in human history. So to me, to me, there's a lot of power there. And to me, I mean, I think that there is also a sort of silent, um, like hidden tradition within Judaism that's always been pushing for this, sort of these perennialistic thinkers emerging from the Renaissance until today. Uh, and someone who I think in a contemporary sense, who also was a, a, a chunk of the, of the Chabad meteor is Reb Zalman Shechter Shalomi, who I think really was a, um, a forerunner in a lot of, in a lot of this fascinating theological direction that, that I've been heading in and that others have been heading in as well. One, which, which I think is very far from the, the, the main gravity and mass of the meteor, which, which is why I was kind of surprised to be that, that you invited me to join with you in conversation here. To me, to me, it's a, it's an important moment. And to me, without being too grandiose and making any sort of Hegelian historical prognosis about it, I think if we're truly to move to a messianic world, insofar as we believe that's possible, um, which I think is core, not just of the Chabad and Lubavitch identity, but of the Jewish identity and the soul of Judaism. If we're, if we're to move to that world, we can move to it in, in one of two ways. We can move to it in a, because there, there are, there are a plethora of messianic ideas in Jewish history from Tanakh onwards, and even within Tanakh. We can move to it in a way that's highly isolated and parochial, with, with very tight blinders on that, that redemption is for this small group of humans, uh, and the rest of the world maybe will have some story, part of that story or not, or kind of who cares. And that's a very strong voice in Jewish history and theology, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to ignore that. But simultaneously, there's a real Jewish voice from Tanakh onwards that, that redemption is a global narrative, is a global story. And that includes that includes all of mankind, all created in the image of God, all there to reveal divinity in this world from the perspective of Chassidus. And if we're, if we're going to take those prophecies seriously, that there's a sense that we're here to serve God in harmony and unison together, there's it, it. It makes us ask different theological questions, and as a chunk of that meteor, I still feel the the inertia of the meteor pushing me in that direction. I haven't given up on, on messianism. I haven't given up on what I was raised on, but it's moved in a direction against my will, where I can no longer exclude billions and billions of people from that narrative. And, and when I read mm. when I read the great mystics of other traditions, I'm I'm moved and touched by their beauty and their profundity and their intimacy with the divine. As much as I'm moved when I read a Hasidic text which which explores the, that same profundity profundity and intimacy and and moral vigor and conviction that emerges from that moment. To me that's that's undeniable. And for for people that haven't encountered that and haven't experienced that in some ways, they may be better off. They, they may be in a more comfortable place where they don't have to face that, that this entire world out there that's also engaging in this quest of, of intimacy with divinity. To me, to me, that's been a real, to me, that's been a great blessing. It's been, it's been. It almost sounds like it's like a mixed blessing or it's a blessing and a curse almost. Yeah. Because, because what you're saying is, at least if I'm understanding correctly, is that um, 
what you're saying is that for you to hold on to your tradition, for you to hold on to your Yiddishkeit, like knowing what you know now, you have to recalibrate, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah. So it's like, I want to hold on, but I can hold on with the simplistic terms of before. Now, tell me I made a mistake engaging this in the first place. Have at it. But this is where I'm at now. This is the language I speak now. What do you want from me now? So it's almost like, it's like, it's like there's a beauty to it, but there's also, there's a heavy burden there too. And it's interesting you brought up the, the, the example of Zalman Schechter, because in a way like that, that kind of cuts right, right through it. Because on one hand, it's no secret today that Zalman Schechter is viewed by many, many, many Lubavitchers, many very from ardent Lubavitchers, because he's a very interesting man. And he, he explains things in a very interesting way, right? But there's also no question that in terms of halachic acceptable practice, he veered and he went away. I, like It's not debatable, I don't think, right? And I think he was pretty open about that yes. too, right? So like... So that that brings us back to the question of it's a very painful dilemma when you think about it, because it's easy for someone to say to wave a wand and say, oh, okay, this is this is all off limits. Kind of, you see, this is what happens when you wade into this kind of territory. Now, now you made things complicated, and it's like, well, I grew up in this world. I don't know what you want from me. I want to hold on to it. I want to hold on to this. And we're going to get in a moment a little bit to what you're trying to hold on to and your and your relationship to the Rebbe as like on an individual level, which I thought was really beautiful when I first heard you talk about it. You want to hold on to something, but like I can't hold on to it like my grandfather. It's not going to work. Like, like, what do you think is the what do you think is the solution? Because like it's almost like the way you're describing it, it's like how do you have a figure like Zalman Schechter, whoever else like him, how do you have a figure like him as being a, 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 like a, a way forward when you also know that he isn't really a way forward? I mean, he's a, he's a way somewhere else. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's not, like, how, like wh what do you do? Yeah. Like, what, what do you do? I don't know if you want to talk about this. No, I'm happy to. In, in certain ways, I'm very grateful for my own trajectory and and I, I feel like there was a lot of Hashkacha Pratis in, in, in the in the thinkers and the text that I encountered, um, beginning with Brown and I and I, I do mention his name because I have a karsate for him for, for setting me off on that journey. Uh, and then later people like William James and Aldous Huxley and and, and the list goes on and on, um, jo Joseph Campbell particularly, um, Richard Eliade, many, many important thinkers who I'm very grateful to have encountered. It's Shaney, part of me doesn't wish it on anyone else. Hmm. People that were raised with a traditional religious belief of any sort, of any religion. Because it, it, it introduces a great deg degree of complexity. And unless you exist with it, I mean, there are certain established religious communities that have taken this theology and made it mainstream. Uh, you, see, you see it amongst Unitarians and elements of, in Baha'i and other places that have a more modern universalistic element from the get-go. And kids are being raised on that. I think is frankly beautiful, but for those that are raised in, a, in an exclusivistic form of religion, I don't necessarily wish it on them, and I, and I try to be careful in my own teaching, my own material, to know who I'm speaking to, to know what might be helpful for them to hear, what might be just confusing for them to hear. When I produce material on my channel that I think 
would not be would 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 be upsetting um upsetting in a literal sense of upsetting of of turning over the the ideas in in young impressionable religious minds who i know are consuming my content i put really serious disclaimers and ask them not to watch it i don't know if that helps because sometimes that just makes it more enticing but i genuinely don't want i have specific people in mind that i don't want watching my stuff i because i don't because i don't wish my own complexity and my own struggle particularly in in the way that we have it now where i did not have peers and mentors that were following a similar now i do but growing up for many, many years, it was excruciatingly isolating. Isolating. You know, Plotinus, the father of Neoplatonism, a very important strand of philosophical Western mysticism, calls the the spiritual and mystical life the journey of the alone to the alone. And there's something very lonely in that, mm. which which always brought, which always brought to, to mind the language of Chazal, that 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 God is Yachd Lamay and Avram is Yachd Lamay, and therefore they they found each other. They were both lonely in some sense, which which to me is a beautiful metaphor that Avram really is. Every he's my Aver. He's 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 separate. He's alone. My middle name is Avram, and I and I, I resonate with that. We also have to smash the idols of the past. Absolutely, absolutely. He's 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 the he's the iconic iconoclast, right? Right. Um. So so there's 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 a sense that there's a sense that I don't I don't wish it on people. However, for those that for those that the original structures of exclusivistic religiosity are not working. Um, I, I do hope that they, that they in, 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 like come upon this form of religiosity. I also believe, as far as I can tell, I'm, I'm, I'm persuaded logically and historically and rationally by, by this form of religiosity that I, that I espouse and that I, that I explore you know, most of my days. And, and to me, I'd, I'd like to see that perpetuated and, and grown. The, the question of the question of characters like Reb Zalman and the question of what happens, how does this interface with traditional forms of Jewish life of halacha and whatnot um, is a very important question, is a rich question. And, and I want to maybe like bavar in something here a little, which is that in embracing a, universalist, a universalistic conception of divinity, which I think I mean, how else do we read the Baal I, I just right. don't, I don't understand it. But in embracing that, there, that does not, there's, there's no logical, emotional, spiritual, religious necessity that that comes at the cost of one's particularism, at the cost of one's own mother tongue. For me, the capacity to see my own truth reflected and espoused by mystics and philosophers across the centuries, across cultures, from Greek thinkers in in pre-Socratic times to people off in the Far East to Muslims and Christians in the Middle Ages, to me that gave my religiosity such a firm grounding in in humanity, in human experience, in history, in fact, in logic. We're not off the wall. No, and and to the contrary, this is this is a profound realization, a true realization, which if discoverable, if karev Hashem karev, if if truth is, if God is discoverable. And then we should expect this to be discovered. We shouldn't be the only ones who discovered it. So to me, there was a logical, during my teenage years where I was going through a lot of theological and philosophical questioning, that was, that was actually a salve. It was a place where my, my faith was able to ground itself. There was you know, further moments of, of questioning and rupture of faith and, and whatnot. But for me, firstly, on a, on a logical level, it, it strengthened my belief and the, the notion that I'm hanging on to my chassidishkeit or my Judaism or my whatever it is because I have to, because it was what the burden, because of some sort of 
moral responsibility or parental is for, like there couldn't be anything further from the truth. I, I'm, I, I identify as as a chassid so deeply and so proudly, and it's a the relationship that I have with the Rebbe is a primary relationship with my life in in my life. I want to ask you about that. Yeah, because yeah. I I want to just give a little bit of prelude. I don't want to. I, I I know I'm cutting you off, but because the first time that like. Like I said, I don't know if I said this after we started recording, but when he really piqued my interest is, you know, here's this guy talking about traditions that I never heard of in a, in an English that, you know, I could only dream of having and like very very well read of co- clearly, and you know he sit he's sitting on a Zoom call with a bunch of guys and like, and he says something to the effect of like my intellectual hero is a Rebbe. I think he said, my intellectual hero is the Rebbe of Nachman Lashnirson, because you're talking to a little bit more of a, you know, kind of outside Lubavitch audience. And I'm like, okay, hey, what's up with this guy? You know, either he's full of crap, but who's he trying to impress? There's no one here. <laughs> <laughs> His parents aren't watching this. I mean, maybe, does your mother watch every one of your videos? She only checks to see if I was smiling and if I, okay. I look Yeah, so she wasn't watching that part of it. It was already deep into the video. Like, so your, your, your parents aren't watching this. Your friends, your friends... Even your good friends, I can't imagine they're all the way. Whatever, I'm saying, like, who are you trying to impress? I, 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 that didn't make sense to me. And okay, and so if you mean it, wait a second, like, how does that add up? Like, you know, like you, 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 you've clearly gone on a journey of opening yourself up to all kinds of other thinkers and ideas, and you've genuinely opened yourself up clearly. Why are you still holding on to the rabbits? I'm not, I'm not asking, like, like, out of, like, out, like, like, why would you? It's more like, it's clearly not because that's how you grew up. There's clearly something more to it. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not calling BS on you. To the contrary, it seems to me that there's a very important connection there, and I, so that that's that's why yeah. it's so fascinating yeah. to me. I certainly went through moments where I was questioning everything. Mm. I went through serious stages where, as an angsty philosophical teenager. I was deep in Nietzsche and Satra and Kierkegaard and general existentialism, and I was questioning my own existence and everything in between. Right? Um, I went through I went through like a, a very wild intele- inner intellectual journey. All in yeshiva. All yes, yes, yeah. I mean, I only I only I went I went all the way through, and this happened as as a teenager. This was while I was in Masifta, while I was in yeshiva, through throughout. Yeah. So this is like basically undercover. You're not supposed to be it's, reading this it's, stuff. No, it's very private. No, no, no. I also went through like a real early Christianity phase where I was really reading a lot of like New Testament scholarship and ended up writing something on that. Like that, that was also a whole... While you're in yeshiva. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Um, a journey which which I kind of navigated away from, but but still. And, and that, that suddenly brought moments of conflict when when like my parents were not particularly happy that I had New Testaments in my bedroom. And oh, they knew I, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could tell you about that as well. Interesting, interesting yeah. story there. Um. For me, for me, I ended up coming back to, on on, and I don't my my intellectual journey. I hope is not finished. That would be boring. But where I am right now, I speak from like, Hashem. I found a lot of moral, aesthetic, and logical conviction and persuasion, um, in in a specific articulation of a theory of mysticism that I find persuasive. Um, for those that are interested in a technical terminology, it's. It's known as a perennialism, or today sort of a neo or soft perennialism, because it's a perennialism that's taken on, you know, the criticism of the contextualist and constructivist, whatever. I won't get too nitty gritty here, but I've come back to that position after my 
after an extensive intellectual journey. And, and, and that's where I am right now. Tomorrow may be different. For me, what I had been raised on was an exquisitely profound and beautiful articulation of that tradition, one of many. And for me, that being raised in that was a tremendous gift and blessing. I couldn't be more blessed to have been raised in a profoundly beautiful culture, community, and philosophy. You're and saying Lubavitch, Lubavitch and articulated I'm saying, I'm saying, a flavor of this perennialism. That... Yeah, so the, the, the basic belief of perennialism, just to, just to share, is that, and this is what I've been saying all along, is that, is that mystical mystics, humans around the world across time have come to sim, the same or similar realizations mm. and have expressed that in their own language and their own cultures. So the Baal a Jewish mystic, um, learning and receiving from early mystics articulates his form of mysticism. He's not doing this necessarily in a perennialistic context. He doesn't know that there are other mystics necessarily. He's not doing it in a universalistic sense, but he's articulating that truth and the truth which today still speaks to me. And I, I can speak to, to why that still speaks to me. But the point is that, that coming to where I am now, I'm so grateful that I was raised within that. A lot of people come to mysticism from the outside. They're raised secular or they're raised, you know, atheistic, whatever, and, and they stumble upon I really, I really think this is happening more and more today, where it's becoming a really dominant theology. You know, spiritual but not religious is one of the largest growing sociological demographics for this, for this, for this uh, question. And to me, to me, the the all the ways that we speak about Torah as a gift, as a blessing, as a as a treasure, for me, those are really those are really true. And my Torah is is so precious to me. But it's not it's not the only <laughs> it's no longer exclusively precious. It's 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 an, it's a precious articulation of a truth that's a universal truth. So for me, the lineage that I belong to, and, and in, in, in mystical traditions, the lineage is a very important point, a very important piece of the puzzle. For me, the lineage of Kabbalah, the lineage of Chassidus, the lineage of Chassidus Chabad, the lineage, and, and, and the Rebbe is my Rebbe. The Rebbe is, the Rebbe is more than my intellectual hero. The Rebbe, is, the, Rebbe is my, the Rebbe is my spiritual father. And the day that a Chassid encounters the Rebbe is, is their spiritual birthday, which is more important than the physical birthday. To me, that's a very real reality, which is, which is not to say that, that there isn't, room for intellectual honesty and questions and critical exploration of, of our spiritual pedigree and our, and our, our we, we know we question our fathers too, but to me, the Rebbe is a mystic, a philosopher, an activist, a, a, a general who, who is working within that tradition. And I am, I'm his shliach, I'm, I'm his child carrying on his mission insofar as I understand it. And that, insofar as I understand it, is where my meteor is shattered, but um, but it's but it's one hundred percent within within that context, and I'm, I'm so I'm so lucky to to be able to say that. Yeah, so so beautiful on so many levels, and also so heartbreaking on so many levels. Um, I, I, I should maybe the word's not heartbreaking, but it's a, it's, yeah, I think the word is heartbreaking. At least that's what's coming to my mind, um, because you said like. Because it, it's, it, it's it's heartbreakingly beautiful, is, is what I'm trying to say. It's heartbreakingly beautiful because it's 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 someone. The way you, you're on one end talking about there being your spiritual father, but also coming from a place of intense loneliness. There's something so heartbreakingly beautiful about that. I don't know how else to put it, mm. right? Um, and in many ways, in many ways, you know, that's what 
dark exodus is meant to protect that we're supposed to come to it as a group not as you know as, as lonely individuals but that wasn't meant to be for you apparently but what i did want to ask you is you said there was a mystic there was an activist there was a, a scholar and so on but there was also a from jew and there was also a you know just a ishalacha and a very zealous ishalacha one who believed that halacha came before any political considerations, any any considerations, frankly, like you know, you know, there, there's, you know, when you when you read the Rebbe's Shimis that he wrote during the war, which I'm sure you have, and there's so many fascinating things that he writes there, especially when you realize it's during the war and there's like this. A lot of the Rishimis doesn't have dates to it. It's just like entries. But then there's this whole series of speeches. I don't know if you ever came across them where it says the date, the Parsha, and where it's given. Mm-hmm. And they basically prepared notes for his speeches that he gave in Nice and Vichy. And and, and you know who he's talking to. And actually Zalman Schechter, that's where Zalman Schechter met, met the Rebbe as well. And he recalled some of the talks there. Correct. Is imagine like here's this 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 man who had kept himself for the most part his whole life and now suddenly giving these speeches trying to uh, give give his fellow Jews some kind of confidence some kind of comfort and uh, it's just astonishing um, you know but so you know you get carried away with the Rebbe's intellectual brilliance but then you hear a story at the same time of the Rebbe being much enough to go by Calabria Esrib right. It's the same man, and we can't really separate the two. And 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 this is where I'm not. Tr- I'm not trying to challenge you because that's not the place. This is not what this podcast is about. But I'm trying to st- still kind of steer according to the lines we had earlier, where you know when you have this collision with modernity, you look at the Rebbe as a figure who, if he didn't overcome, like if he didn't beat modernity, he certainly collided with it pretty well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see modernity being solved anywhere, but, but, but the Rebbe took it on. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't scared of it. Uh, parenthetically, like one of my favorite stories of the Rebbe that I heard, I heard from Rabbi Krinsky. Um, and he said that he was driving the Rebbe. I, I don't know when and where, but it was all I know is that he was driving. They were driving past the World Trade Center, so probably in Brooklyn, with a view of the World Trade World Trade Center, the old. World Trade Center, the Twin Towers, across the river. And I think Robert Krinsky pointed out to the Rebbe, there's a World Trade Center. The Rebbe asked him, the Rebbe looks up at the World Trade Center, these two Twin Towers at the time, the two tallest buildings in the world, gives it a look, and said, oh, not that tall. I'm back to <laughs> And look, the one thing I will die on my sword for is the Rebbe was not cynical. Hmm. The one thing the Rebbe wasn't was a cynic, like hmm. eh, no big deal, eh? Mm-hmm. No, no, he knew what the engineering was to build the tallest towers, and he wasn't all that impressed. Like, that's not like modernity is not going to wow me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like I feel like he at the very least they were collided with modernity pretty well, like like robustly, mm-hmm. and right. But you you so you as you collide with modernity, you look up to him as an example, as a role model, right? But the problem is, and I'm not saying for you, but the problem for all of us is that there was able to deal with it as an intellectual, as a mystic, as an activist, 
as each halacha. And even though all these things, like we've discussed a little bit earlier, some can feel contradictory and they pull you in different directions, the Rebbe was able to manage it. Why? That's why he was a Rebbe. Come on, hello. Like, like, he was a special man. That's the whole point, isn't it? But the problem is when we try to copy it or try to model ourselves after it, it almost begins to feel like, wait a second, these contradictions are too big for me. Hmm. Hmm. Like, firstly, um, <laughs> this might be important to say, <laughs> depending on who's listening, that uh, in no way am I interested in in undermining halacha. I think halacha, as the Rebbe saw it, is the expression of not just divinity, but but particularly profound degrees of, of divinity. Um, the Rebbe would often speak about how that when we speak about general sure. disputation, we, it's, it goes to, it's associated with Shemeli Kim, associated with nature and whatnot. Um, but Dvar um, and I halacha, and I, and I feel that way, and, and I, f- I feel strongly that um, that halacha is halichis olam, that they're the paths, the eternal paths that bring us into eternity. The present moment. We, no, so I'm sorry, we I'm could so, talk I'm more. Sorry, I'm sorry for yeah. characterizing it. If I anyway characterize it, you're somehow against halacha. What I meant more is the, the particularities yeah. Of, yeah. Of, 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 of living as a from yeah. Jew. I think, that, by the way, I think there's a lot of theological work that the Rebbe did um, and that each of us has to engage in in recontextualizing halacha. I think a lot of the Rebbe's Torah about um, mitzvahs, potatoes, lots of love, I bring a radical re-understanding of what halacha means as an expression of innate will as opposed to external. But we, this might not be the, the place for a theological discussion of halacha. I mean, it's, it's work I'm that not I'm, the person to have it with. Yeah. So. No, it's, it's, it's work that I'm actively engaged in and I have an upcoming series on my channel which is looking at ritual and halacha and trying to re-understand it and, and, mm. and, 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 and collide with it, frankly, mm. um, and, and, and make something beautiful out of it, hopefully. So so uh, so in no ways am I, am I throwing throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, when it comes to, here's his, his a more important point though, and that, and that was a very important point, so, so that tells you how no, important no, this right. is. That's very important. A more important point is that the Rebbe had, the Rebbe expected a lot from himself and expected a lot from us. And um, whether we like it or not, and, and, and whether we're gonna feel comfortable as, as modern millennials with, with this approach that the Rebbe took, Whenever someone would come to the Rebbe and say, I've accomplished X, Y, and Z, the Rebbe's response, we know, we could have predicted, you know, with a 100% success rate was, okay, so when's the next building happening? When's the next million dollars being donated? Like, this is, that the Rebbe was, and in a very American way, in a very expansive way, in a sort of the logic of, of modernity, which something which, which the Rebbe collided with, in a very, I also want to add in a very beautiful way, the Rebbe's aesthetic, which was a modern aesthetic, the Rebbe, the Rebbe threw off in many ways, the lavush that he was expected to wear, which is very challenging for Eli Chassidim. The Rebbe, the Rebbe put on a borsalino and a short jacket. The Rebbe's, the Rebbe's, I'm very attracted to the Rebbe's, to the modernism of the Rebbe's physical aesthetic. But but putting that aside, to me, to me, the Rebbe demanded a lot from us. And that is from the very first mimer, which is the Rebbe's mission statement, the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's um, manifesto, Baslagani, where the Rebbe says that it's been seven generations since since the beginning, the same way there were seven generations from from Abraham to Moses, from Avram to Moshe, we are now seven generations from the Alter Rebbe, and it is upon us to bring Mashiach. Not upon me, but upon us, upon this generation. And we need to ask ourselves, without fooling ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, when will our actions 
parallel those of our patriarchs and matriarchs of Moses in a cosmic sense that they were able to bring down Shekhinah, they were, able to, they, were, they were able to bring down divine presence into their lives and therefore this world. We, our mandate, my mandate, says the Rebbe, is to charge us, this generation, with doing the same. And that theme continues all the way until Vata Tatava and Chavzayin Adar. And every single moment where the Rebbe impressed upon us that the mission statement was was an immense one, and it was upon us to do. I think I think that the Rebbe the Rebbe wanted us to be Rebbeim. There's this is there's a, there's a lot of terror. This where a lot of terror behind this, where the Tzemach referred to his children as Admirim. He has he had a few different children, which did go on to spawn other Hasidic movements. Um, and based on a f- mimer of the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe the Rebbe basically extended that not just to the Chassidim, but to not just to the children of the Rebbe, because the Rebbe did not have biological children, but to all of his children, which is the Chassidim, demanding that each Chassid be a Rebbe, be an Admir. Um, it's a Sicha, I could find it's a Sicha on uh, Shmi Atzeris, I think I could find it for you if, if, if people are interested in, in the source. The Rebbe, the Rebbe basically showed up, and this is, you know, Jonathan Sachs immortalized this famously in his eulogy of the Rebbe when he said the Rebbe was a great leader because he didn't make followers, he made, he made leaders. To me, the Rebbe, who's my Mesher Abeno, led us to the promised land, and like Meshur Beno did not enter the promised land, and said, it's now your turn to stand up on your own two feet and to walk in for yourself. I'm not going to carry you anymore. I'm not going to be your mother, which is the way that Meshur described, and carry you into the land. You have to stand up and do it. And I think that demand upon us may be unfair. It may be wrong. It may be, it may be, it may be um, misguided. It may be beyond our capacities. And, 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 and it seems that the Rebbe to some degree questioned our capability of that in, in very agonizing ways, right? But I take that seriously. And if the Rebbe faced himself a challenge of taking the tradition that he was raised on and colliding head-on with modernity and emerging with something powerful, meaningful, inspiring, empowering, and redemptive, then I have the responsibility to do the same. And I think the Rebbe taught us how to do this. The Rebbe's, the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's hermeneutics, the way the Rebbe read a text was to take was 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 to take a text and read it against itself often to 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 reveal its messianic redemptive purpose that that's what the Rebbe does and the Rebbe wanted us to read a text the way he does and I'll just drop this as as a hint maybe even to read the Rebbe's text that way but here's my question though I mean it's beautiful what you're saying it's really beautiful and and look I mean yeah, I mean that—that that is how you translate Vat Tetzavah. I mean that—that's that, what it says in the mimer there, and insofar as that can be considered the last mimer that the Rebbe chose or happened to give, you know, like ended up giving out. I don't know exactly what the process was, but the Rebbe certainly would say it was Bashkachapratis, right? So it was the last mimer that went out. That's clearly the 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 gist of what the mimer is saying, but the 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 challenge that I see is on a practical level again trying to bring it more to a practical question is if you're if you're also a rebbe how are you at the same time a chassid right and and to put it in more practical terms let's say we suppose that we can believe that our intentions or you know our intentions are pure and what we're doing we're doing for the right reason but what we're doing is new mm-hmm. we are entering the promised land that nobody else has entered before mm-hmm. How do we know that that is, right? How do we know that that is what yeah. the Rebbe wants? Yeah. Like, that's always a danger. And that's why I have deep sympathy for people who say, all of this talk is dangerous. 
we ought to just be following directives, period, end of story. Yeah. We don't have the capacity to start coming up with our own ideas. You know, a lot of people will listen to this conversation and be thrown off by words that you use that they don't realize it's just the English for the Lushen Kaidish that they usually use. So that part, whatever. But you are saying new ideas. We can't get around that. Right? This whole idea of, of trying to see everything from a mystic... Anyway, that's not so new, but like to basically translate and take the 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 the, the logical next steps of where does it, all this lead? Right. If we say that, like the Baal Shanta said, that everything is tachas, the ashkachar pratis of, of the Eberster, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Does it, like, how can you have that, right? And okay, this is actually discussed, and all sure. these things, Bechir Chavshis and all these things, how you deal with the other and so on. But it's complicated, right? And, and so it's much easier, and in a way it seems more recommendable to just say, okay, whatever the Rebbe told me, like I, I'm gonna follow, even if the circumstances don't match. Yeah, I, I'd love to. It's too bad the Rebbe didn't make us sheep. He made us. He 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 charged us to be rebbeim. No, but I understand. I understand where you're coming from. Believe me. I'm just how do how do how do you like how do you? It almost feels like like it's even becoming more impossible because what you could say is look. The Rebbe wanted us to be our own people, or he encouraged us to be our own thinkers. Now I don't know what to do anymore, so I'm just going to be my own guy. I'll be Zaman Shechter. So let me push back on that a second. And and appropriate that you brought that up, because I wanted to, I wanted to say something that, that he had said, which really hit me very powerfully, which which is an important, honest thing to say here. Um, Reb Zalman, in one of his autobiographical works, he, he begins it with an introduction um, I think the I think the name of the book is My Life in Renewal. Um, he begins it with a very beautiful story, which was co-written with a, some creative writer, um, which was an attempt to encapsulate his autobiography in this sort of mythological register. And um, he tells a very beautiful story that he had a dream, and in the dream, he his his soul was went up to to the heavenly realm and it was being there was a court case which was trying to determine which way and he and he and he says that it, during that during the during and, and i'd like to revisit the way he describes it because it's very beautiful during that court case he wanders off into one of the side rooms and he sees that there's um, a book and each book has a name on it and he and he naturally begins to look for his own name and he sees that all these great leaders you know great rebbeim of the past, the great saints of, of many traditions, they each have a fully articulated story and, a, and it's very beautifully done and they're all in Eilam Amma, so it's finished. He comes to his book and he sees that it's it's empty still. And this, in the story, it says after he's lived his life, seemingly. And um, in the story, he the, the court case, I, I believe, is is uh, left in, in ambivalence, what the decision is, and he's solely sent back down to, to continue. And um, and he and he reflects on as he wakes up. He reflects on this dream that he had of this of this hearing celestial hearing, and he says um, he says I I'm tasked with this heavy responsibility to to write this story with the the tools that I've inherited from my tradition on the paper I've inherited from my tradition, and I don't know whether the story that I'm writing is going to lead people into heaven or hell. Hmm. And to me, there's an, there's an immense honesty and vulnerability in that. It's not the religious guru who says I know the truth. And uh, I am the light, I am the way, I am the truth, and, and follow me and I'll take you there. It's, it's the ability to say, no, 
I'm, I'm a human and I'm doing my very best to be honest with myself, to be true to my, my God-given intelligence and, my, and the soul within me, which I believe is, is pure, to try and lead myself in that true direction and to challenge myself constantly to make sure that it's heading that direction. Do I know for a fact that, that it's leading me to heaven, it's leading others to heaven, and I'm using that proverbially, that's leading us to a to redeemed, rectified, wholesome, healthy life? I don't know. And I, I, I assume, by the way, and, I, and I'd love to ask someone who knows more, and maybe you do, more about the Rebbe's writings before the Nicias, whether the Rebbe ever expresses, because once the Nicias begins, there's no place for that ambivalence. The Rebbe's on a warpath, and, and rightfully so. And there's a mission to, to counteract the, 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 the absolute um, evil authority of Hitler with, with the Zellumas of an absolute authority of purity that has no sphakis, the same way that Yemach Shemay Hitler had no sphakis right. in his mission to exterminate Jews. I see a direct Zellumase between, between the Rebbe and, and right. Yemach Shemay. In Tzadak Tusha and Tzadak Klippel. Knock wood. Say it in Greek or Latin, Mutatis Mutandi. Isn't that how we say it? Mutatis Mutandi? I don't know this expression. That's like, I think, I thought that's a word. I was trying to impress you. Anyhow. Go ahead. I, so I'd be curious to know whether in the, in the Rebbe's pre-Nicius writings there's any space of this ambivalence of, because the Rebbe's certainly do something new and revolutionary both in his methodology and his and his metaphysics and his theology, it, there's a radical radical departure from the previous six generations. So I didn't, I, didn't, I spent quite a bit of time with Rishimus. I actually I actually did a project on it. That is why I spent so much time on it. To where I basically made like a, a small kind of documentary um, tracing the Rebbe's journey through the Rishimus, with also footage of the time and the mm. place that he was wow. uh, during the war. Um, if anything, my impression was the Rebbe was was radical then already. No, and and I say that I hope I I hope that's in the most respectful way possible. Like, like in many ways, it was it was almost like it was it was it was so interesting to see how 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 so many ideas that would later be so dominant in the Kutusichas were already planted back then, mm. when. Presumably, the Rebbe wasn't planning on being the Rebbe. I mean, because he didn't want to be, you know, Tavshin Yud. This was ten years before that. Right. So, and he, you know, he certainly wasn't thinking pacifistic Rebbe. That I think everybody can say with utter confidence. And he was be, and he was here. He was writing with that same kind of messianic vision, but. But it was, I mean, and there's a famous letter where I, I've been dreaming of a chef since since, I'm, since since when I'm a child. But right. here you could see already where. And also the unique kind of almost Rogachover like bringing midrashim, the, the kind of the way of the recipe of, of the Dvartar was was that it was already astonishing back then. Yeah, like the, the just and, and of course on top of all that, there was traveling without a library. So this let me let me be a bit more specific in the question. There there was messianism and radicality certainly there, and, and I love those things about the Rebbe. Is th- th- there's a departure that happens in the Rebbe's Torah. There's maybe departure is the wrong word because it, it implies that it's different. There's sort of if we see Chassid Chabad going, I'll do it for the camera, going like this, then the Rebbe goes like this, right? Right. And the Rebbe does that with his Teres Atzmos, and, and we won't get theological here. But do you see, do you see that move, that that also, that, that takeoff, having any um, sort of whether Rebbe questioning whether that's the right move, whether we're ready for it, whether 
How do yeah, we act so, on that? Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I was interviewing someone for another project, and they were also talking about the Teresa Atmos. I mean, I, I didn't think I didn't think of it in that way, so I don't know if I paid attention to it. But, but that's what I meant by radical. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant by radical. I mean, th- 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 at least this is the impression I got, and I'm not. I'm not. This is not. Re- it's not recent. This is a few years ago. But you know, the the Rebbe, the Rebbe always seemed was like he took everything to its furthest conclusion. Yeah. Right? There was no let up. Yeah. So, Teresa Atzmos is. It's always there in Chassidus. I mean, yes. you, you can find the word Atzmos in Tzavach I don't know, 10,000 times. I mean, it's there. Sure, sure. sure. Right? But it, it, it's it's part of the story. Like, it's kind of, it, we get to it, but we don't, Mati Vulay Mati. We're there, mm-hmm. but we're not mm-hmm. there. Whereas Rebbe's like, no, no, that, that, that's where we're going. Let's go. Every, every mimer. Let's go, yeah. right? That, that That's that's what we're talking about yeah. here. I, I didn't think of it in like an academic kind of Teres Atzmos versus the other Abayim. Um, You know, I always think about like the obvious kind of example is that like Basiligani, the Basiligani that the Rebbe used as a foundation for their Shvit, but mm-hmm. the one delivered by the Fidik Rebbe. Mm-hmm. What's the Musar Haskil in Basiligani, the first five prokim? That a Balasik and down with a minion. Pray please tell me. Like like where did that go? It just got swallowed up in a much larger, like, the Fidika was begging Balabatim to be from a Yidin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, but look at the Mimer. The Mimer's talking about much bigger. Like, we're changing the world. Mm-hmm. Right? And it, you know, it goes back to this, the same cup. I'll give you another example. Like, there's this beautiful poem, or it's, it's an, it was a speech, but also it's kind of po- poetic from, from Ravi Soloveitchik. I'm sure you read it called Daidi Right, it's, I think it's the Six Day War, and, and he's talking about the knocks that Hashem makes and how it says Manaseiro since time. It's beautiful, you know how Rabbi Salvechik writes, just gorgeous. You want mm-hmm. to read it again and mm-hmm. again and again, just the, with, uh, with a dictionary on the side. Yeah, but I'm just saying <laughs> that it's, it's more just the mix of mm-hmm. of Medrash with Gemara and Halacha, and it's just it, it's just the mind is just exploding the whole time, right? And it's beautiful. What does he demand from the people listening to him? That they should all give like $180 to Israel. <laughs> They're a bunch of like upper middle class doctors, modern orthodox doctors in the, in New York. And mm-hmm. he's like, instead of going on vacation, give some money to Israel. It's like, all of that for this? <laughs> right? And like, yeah, because that's how most leaders used to, were. Like, you, you speak, you inspire, 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 and then you make, you make your pitch. Mm-hmm. And there was a, like, no, 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 inspire, inspire, inspire. And then, like, the pitch doesn't, like, descend back down. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm, no, no, mm-hmm, it just mm-hmm. the, it just flows. Right. So, like, you have, for example, now that I'm thinking about it, you have, you, have, you have a speech that they ever gave while the Jews were in South France, which was a desperate time for them because they, they, they were cornered. There was from the handful of people who survived that. And he's telling them, I think it was Shavas Nachamu, about the double Nechama, for a double, for a double klala, like a, it's a whole, a whole medrash, and there built well, the whole thing, where this whole thing is an asoyin, and it's, it's, it's just Davisher trying to be even closer to the, to the Eden, and we have to, we have to, we have to find Davisher even more. Like, it, it's this. How, how do you say that to people who are, because, like, how, how, like, how do you give that message of nechama? 
to people that are that are that are worried that this is their last day. Mm. Well, anybody that sees how they've spoken, that that's that's how he thought. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, in a way, in a way, I guess it's a departure. But like, I don't know if like you see Atmos become a become a thing. But the interesting thing to me is because I'm not such a academic academically inclined person it's more like it, what what's so precious about the way you're describing it to me is you know i i, I can i can anticipate if this is published it will get flack okay and, and i understand why i understand why okay here's someone who took a journey read things he wasn't supposed to and has ideas that come from elsewhere okay and I, and I say that with a lot of respect okay not in any judgmental way I mean I'm saying what you said so how could you how could you platform this and I say look here's a guy who who this this was his journey question him for why or what had happened but he is holding on he's can he, he you said a son coming back trying to hold on and trying to live up to the Rebbe's model. And what's so, to me, heartbreakingly beautiful about it is it, it, it's, I wanna, it, it's, it's almost like this, this attempt at the impossible. You know what I mean? And, and maybe someone comes and says, okay, you're just making things complicated for no good reason. Guys, get a grip. Just trying to be sophisticated. It's all there. All the truth is there in the Kutateranter. No, no, and, I, and I'm saying like maybe someone sincerely means that. I get it. But but I, I don't know. Like like that image of the, the meteor, does it? Like I can't let go of it. Like you grew up in Sydney, Australia. You didn't grow up in cocooned Crown Heights. And by the way, we're in Crown Heights now filming. Take a look at what's going on in Crown Heights. This ain't Lubavitch. Of Russia, I'm sorry. Like, like we live in this world, people are get people collide. Whether they should have or shouldn't have, are you really gonna judge this? Are you gonna really judge someone now for what they read when they were 13 years old? I'm sorry, I'm not going to. Right, and then the rest of your life now is trying to somehow find a model in the way the Rebbe the Rebbe spoke, the way the Rebbe thought, the way the Rebbe believed, and. And, and trying to live up to that, and to you, and to and through that to overcome a series of impossible contradictions. I, 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 I appreciate. I appreciate. Like I feel seen in, in you saying that. I appreciate it. I will also say that I'm having. Am I overdoing it? No, 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 no. I don't think so. I, I also want to add that like I'm having a hell of a fun time doing it. I know I, I spoke about how it's 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 lonely and, and those are true and it's painful and it, and those are true as well. There's also there's also a tremendous tremendous amount of tainog like there's a, there's a there's a in in this terror and this new wave that I understand terror and I and and I don't want to paint it as if I'm uh, some sort of afflicted oppressed um, you know child. You're Australian. You can't be afflicted if you tried, <laughs> but you but my, my, I, I love this. I, I, I know, you're not afflicted, but you but you said earlier that you don't wish this on anybody else. It's yeah because because the, because both sides are true because because it's 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 terribly exhilarating and and enlivening and and empowering and and the people that I get to interact with and the, and the the things I get to hear from people and and help people in their in their journeys is is beautiful and it's also. I also spent 
spend years and 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 now you know days and and just really really confused and really lost and really not having now having some people that I can turn to and trust and speak to honestly about it but for many years did not have that so and and that I don't wish on anyone it's a, it's a really it's a really bad thing to wish on someone even if it comes with a lot of beautiful perks as well right right I mean, it's it's like any any time that you see someone who has, let's say, succeeded, whether it's in business or sports or whatever it is in life, and they're they're enjoying themselves, it's like, hey, do you really want to be Michael Phelps? Okay, everybody wants to be the guy with twenty four gold medals or however many gold medals he ended up getting. Okay, how many people want to wake up every single morning for six years, every single day without vacation for six years, and like work out at five in the morning for four hours? Like nobody else. That's why he's Michael Phelps and nobody else. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. It doesn't exist, yeah. right? And so, in general, there's always that thing where, like, I'm sure he had a great time doing what he did in the end. Right, right. Right? But, yeah, I mean, it's just, like, in, in a way, I've kind of hijacked the conversation. And, like, <laughs> no, because, like, I, I almost, I, I'm, I'm kind of, like, I'm already anticipating the 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 pushback or the kind of skepticism of like you know what's this conversation about and it's like like I, I don't know what I don't know what to tell you like people people are trying to find their way yeah like like let me ask you a question this way if someone tells you okay it's very enjoyable but you also said it's it, it's it, it could be excruciating mm-hmm. so why not just dump it. Why not just become full on Balshova, forget it, or full on like I'm not I'm not touching this anymore. I'm I'm only going to say this because the Rebbe gave us permission to say it and and demand that we say it. Um, and otherwise I would I would never say this. But Avram grew up in a home where he had his thing going. He was he could have continued. He would have had a really cushy shlichus and he would have done just fine. And he was he was he encountered divinity, he encountered truth. For Rambam, he did that as a philosopher. For Chassidus, he did that as a Chassid. You know, however you want to read history, but um, and he was a, he was a he was a Ishai Ms. He was a man of truth, and he couldn't he couldn't deny that truth once he encountered it. And he went ahead and he broke his father's idols. And and we're told that story because my son is similar about him, right? There's I, I think when you encounter something which feels so good and so true and so beautiful, Tamaru Kitev Hashem, that you, in a sense there's there's a, you know, Kafirleim Harkagigas, there's a kfiya, you're forced to pursue it at all costs, and costs that are, that are, that are, that are really detrimental, that are, that are not good for your shidduch resume and for, for whatnot. Um, you know, the price which, I mean, that, okay, that may be... <laughs> um, I think I think that we're compelled to. I think that when we when we encounter something so beautiful, where we're captivated and 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 fixated by it, when 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 Moshe Rabbeinu encounters the snare, he has no choice but to he but to he can't he can't look he can't not look at it, and he's he's drawn closer to it. It's 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 a, it's a terrible thing to come close to, right? And 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 God, who's the consuming fire, is not a good thing to get close to. It's it's you're going to get burnt. Right, mm. which is why Chazal say that how can we say Valachta Bedrachav isn't God a consuming fire, and uh, and yet Moshe Rabbeinu takes off his shoes and approaches the fire. Like I don't, I don't feel like it was a choice. To be, to be, to be frank, I felt like I, I encountered something so beautiful, 
um, within the depths of my tradition, which which allowed me to make sense of my tradition for the first time as a young adult. Mm. And um, and and the achrayis when we encounter beauty is to share it. That's that's what beauty demands of us. When we encounter a beautiful beautiful poem that moves us, we're forced to 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 repost it to share. When we encounter a painting, we're we're, we're forced to tell our friends about it because it, because it moved us, and and we and in our love for them, we want them to be to encounter that same beauty. To me, to me, and that's a that's a that's a it's a terrible Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a terrible journey, and and he spends the next x amount of sukkim saying whoops like like don't actually actually can i go back to my sheep like please don't don't send me i don't i don't want to be your shliach and but but he does because because we're compelled by by that reality we're compelled by that truth and beauty and um and it's a very it's a very compelling thing and um and and it comes from a place of care like we we, we care about the world around us we, we look at the state that we're in we look at the state of lubavitch i spoke to a young man today that grew up in a secular household that was Mascara to Lubavitch. His father's not Jewish, and I, I'll keep his name anonymous for his own privacy. But he was telling me what it's like to live here in Crown Heights, um, going through his own theological questioning, when and and the way that the way that we in Chassidus and in our communities speak about non-Jews with with ungodly ungodly amounts of racism and xenophobia, and this this guy's his dad is Jewish. His dad is his dad is not Jewish, right? right. So how's that being how's that right. being received? Like, right. let's think for a second. Like, like right. who who like Dalafni Miyato Emir? Who are you speaking to, right? He told me that 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 he that he got royally royally like messed over financially by local chassid. He didn't tell me the name, and it's not my job here to. Right. to right. And and he and if he had a choice now to do business, he'd rather do business with the people he grew up with, with the non-Jews. When, when, and and he doesn't see. You know, when 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 you reached out to me about the podcast, I know that you're like part of the mission statement is asking what is Lubavitch, and I don't I don't know what Lubavitch is, but I know what it can be. And as someone who enjoys history, like history and academia, we look at etymologies, the meaning of the word Lubavitch. We know the etymology is is a city of love, right? Is a is a is a town of brotherly love, right? Philadelphia. That's what Lubavitch ought to be, right? And and what what a tragic state we're in that. That someone says that they'd rather go and trust their hard-earned money with 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 people who they can just trust to be good, decent, normal humans that don't have layers of chassidus put on top of them, which have done all kinds of bizarre things to their to the way that they can treat another human. And it pains me. It pains me. And and I, I can't I can't I can't abandon if I if I was to walk away, which is which would have been much easier. It would have been it would have been an abandonment. It would have been saying that this community is and I, I want to qualify this as well to say that there's that there's the the amount of chesed, the amount of kindness, the amount of beauty and truth, and the amount of the, the amount of selflessness that I grew up and I experience on a daily basis are simultaneously present. I'm not trying to castigate all of Chabad as as right. something that's lost its way. God forbid, like that's stupid. It's precisely the beauty that that, that is there that allows me to to to, to want fight to, for to want to fight for it and say we're right. we're we're so much better. We can be. We can be a shining city on the hill. We can be a model to 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 the world of what it means to live, inspired by by a deep, profound mystical tradition. Right. And to me, that that possibility is something which I can't walk away from. Mm. You know, it's so it's so interesting because in general, like people think that art criticism is all about making less, right? And really, what it's about is making more. Now, of course, an art critic or any kind of critic can just be an idiot or be you know and just tear down out of jealousy or insecurity or whatever.
like an art critic, his job or her job is to point out how this thing accomplishes something but falls short in something else. We're all chasing this ideal of beauty or art or 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 film or whatever it is, right? Architecture. And there's this ideal and we try to see how can we live up to that ideal. When 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 someone, whether it's myself, whether it's you, whether it's anybody else, sits down and tries to critique ideas and critically think about ideas and think about story and where are we where are we coming from where are we going it's not an attempt to tear this down if i wanted to tear it down i'd leave how bored do you think i am how self-destructive do you think i am i'm going to stay here and bring the whole thing down with me why would i do that right why would you do that of course that's not what it's about what it's about is 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 people, whether it's yourself in your situation, myself in my situation, others, of course, who are convinced that there's something here worth fighting for. And very often racked by doubt, um, not sure if what they're doing is the right thing, not sure if not sure if this is where, it ought to, you know, like I have a better idea than other people. Maybe, maybe the old timers got it right. Maybe I'm wrong. Very large chance. But what is what I'm supposed to do? Live the rest of my life with a what if? Not even going to explore. Not even going to ask a question and say, imagine if it could be even better. Imagine if I could give my kids something that I'm excited to give them and I'm excited to teach them about. And I'm excited to see them take it even further. Not something that I'm worried is just slipping away. That's the impulse. Anyway, on that cheery note, <laughs> on that cheery note, well, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking. Maybe it's been a bit, bit of a bit of a bit of a vent, at least from my end. But uh, it's been a pleasure, pleasure meeting you. It's always the joy of the podcast is to meet people, interesting people. And I hope I have the guts to publish this one day. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Thank you. Likewise. The music for this podcast comes from the album Repentance Doors by Oren Sorna Davachar and is used with their permission.